welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. This week's episode. Hi, everybody. You know, I've published episodes before which presented certain kinds of music in what I called a parallel universe. Today, I'm going to take you on another trip into two different parallel universes. I'm going to be presenting to you the music of Franz Schubert like you've never heard it before. Are you ready? Yeah. 
Ближе доступ к их призванию Ты к душе своей И на тайное свидание Ты приди That was the Russian tenor Sergei Lemeshev, accompanied by Abram Makarov in a recording from 1948 of the Schubert Serenade in Russian. In Russian. Lemeshev lived from 1902 to 1977. In 1942, he suffered from pneumonia, and the treatment he received caused one of his lungs to collapse. So, from 1942 to 1948, he sang with a collapsed lung. Yes, in that recording, he's operating on a single lung. His signature role was Lensky in Yevgeny Onegin, which he performed more than 500 times. He was one of the star tenors at the Bolshoi, and later also was a manager of that theater, as well as a stage director there. In spite of his extreme health problems, he sang past his 70th birthday, and we'll hear him again perhaps at the end of the episode. But now we're going to hear a different version of the Schubertständchen, and this is called Serenade. Guess what language this is going to be in.
That was a 1928 recording featuring the beloved soprano Ninon Valin, who lived from 1886 to 1961. She sang so many different roles and participated in a number of classic recordings, including Charlotte in Massenet's Werther and the title role of Charpentier's Louise. She also was a delicious interpreter of French operetta, and she left an incredibly wide range of recordings, including this one, which featured Raoul Bartalet on a very soupy violin with Madeleine d'Alemant on the piano. She was at least as intrepid an interpreter of recital repertoire as she was operatic, and there are some classic recordings of a wide range of French songs and others that she recorded over the course of her long career. Now you are probably asking yourselves, what the hell is Gundlach up to with this episode? Why is he playing Schubert, whose songs rely so heavily on the German texts? Why is he playing these in a foreign language? Well, I have a couple reasons for that. First of all, I love old-fashioned performances of Lieder. And I also am really fascinated in different national vocal styles. And I'm also interested in how songs can effectively express the affect of a song, even when it's not performed in the original language. Now, in some instances, like the two examples of the Ständchen that we just heard, I'm also going to take a number of songs and compare different versions. For instance, have you ever heard a singer sing with such freedom and rubato and such lack of concern for things like bar lines than does Liemeshev? And likewise, when Valin sings Serenade, it's almost as if it were a piece of French salon music especially with that violin obbligato. And in the case of every single one of these singers that I'm playing for you, they are vivid, engaged singers who are always responding to the text. And also, because this is one of my big things, they also all sing with beautiful legato. It is not impossible to sing legato and to convey the text with even greater clarity than if one is pecking away at it, which seems to be the current method of performing leader. It's not my preferred method. So if I have to go all the way back to the first half of the 20th century to hear performances that bring me as much satisfaction as these do, then so be it. Also, another thing that's really interesting is that we're also going to be able to hear certain voice types that are quintessentially French, quintessentially Russian. So those are some of my reasons for doing this. I hope that you will willingly accompany me as we explore all these different aspects of the singing of our song. All right, next up is a recording by the singer who inspired me to take on this particular topic. For some years now, I have been on the lookout for a recording of the French bariton Martin, Camille Moran, 
in my opinion, perhaps the greatest Peleas that ever lived. And that's saying something, because there have been some pretty amazing Peleai out there. But I was on the lookout for a 1952 recording of him doing Melodie of Schubert. It's pretty rare to find a decent copy of this. It's rare to find a copy of it at all. And the copy that I found is a little scratchy, but still, I really was taken with his way of performing Schubert, French or not. Like Valin, he was also a magnificent recitalist and programmed a lot of Melodie in particular. His recordings of Forêt will make you think you've died and gone to heaven. He also sang Schubert. But interestingly, unlike someone like his near-contemporary Gérard Souzet, he did not sing it in German. The recordings, at least, of Moran singing Schubert are all in French translation. Because he was such a profoundly expressive singer, it's really interesting to hear the songs interpreted and presented almost as if they were melodie, they start to sound in his performances as if they were actually originally set to French texts. I will say about this translation, in this case and in many other examples of translations into French, the German words have been reshaped and refashioned into French by Gustave Samazeuil, who lived from 1877 to 1967, studied under Chausson, Dandy, and Ducat and was also a frickin' fantastic composer. His output includes a number of really, really beautiful orchestral songs. So, who knows, maybe there will be a bonus episode featuring his orchestrated melodie at some point. He was also a writer on music, and clearly also did these translations. So, this one that we're going to hear, I've been talking enough now, we're going to hear Le Tilleul, The Lime Tree, or Der Lindenbaum the fifth song from Le Voyage d'Hiver, or, as we better know it, Winterreise. And Morin's pianist here is Lily Bienvenue. Dans la nuit sombre 
des tristes lieux Quand l'arbre fut tout proche Je dus fermer les yeux Alors je crus l'entendre Chanter avec douceur Reviens, ô oh toi qui pleures Je sais percer ton cœur J'avais en plein visage le vent brutal et froid, mais sans tourner la tête, j'allais, j'allais tout droit. J'ai fait très longue cour. Fuyant à tout jamais Je suis bien loin sans doute De l'arbre que j'aimais Pourtant mon triste rêve Now, because I love that record so much, and because you can hear that the copy of that record that I got was a little scratchy, but this is an ultra-rare record, and I was just thrilled to find a copy of it in any condition, and so thrilled that, in fact, I'm going to be offering the remainder of it on this week's bonus episode. And speaking of bonus episodes, that brings me to the subject of Patreon, and I am thrilled to welcome three new Patreon supporters this week. First, Philip, whom I met recently at the legendary performance that we both attended at the Staatsoper here of Elektra, which was the farewell performance of Waltraf Meyer, and at which a number of our mutual friends also performed. So thank you very much, Philip. A few days later, Alan also became a supporter. And in my welcome and thank you note to him, I urged him to be in touch about singers and topics that he really wants to hear on the podcast. And that is not something that is only for my Patreon supporters. I love hearing from all of you with your suggestions and comments and requests 
for topics and singers that I include in future episodes. And just under the wire, I'd like to welcome my new friend, Paul, with whom I have been carrying on a most wonderful back-and-forth conversation. You guys are all so welcome, and I'm thrilled to have your support, and I'm happy to be able to share all the bonus material with you as well. And by the way, as I always say on the podcast, if you too want to support it, you can go to patreon.com slash countermelody, where you can make your yearly or monthly contribution. I've been very generous in the time since I started my Patreon, and if you pledge $2 a month or $25 a year, or more, of course, you have always had access to all of these episodes, and the one this week will be number 86. Since May, I have been producing weekly episodes. It's a little extra work, but I don't mind because I really value all of you who support the podcast. Okay, let's get back to the main topic here. Since we just heard something from Winterreise, I have one further example from the cycle to offer to you today, and that is the oldest recording that we're going to hear from the year 1910. This features the bass Lev Sibiryakov, who lived from... 1869 through 1942. So many of these fantastic low-voiced male singers are designated Russian basses. But in the case of Sibiryakov, he was actually born in Polonoye, which is now in Ukraine, and he was of Jewish origin. His death is also a bit mysterious. Most sources say that he died in Warsaw in 1938, and yet more recent research indicates that he died in Antwerp in 1942. At any rate, he is a magnificent singer and a singing actor. This is one of those rare recordings of Der Leiermann, where a great deal of rhythmic freedom is taken in the way that the text is presented much the way that Lemeshev went way out on a limb with Rubato in the Ständchen that opened this episode, so Sibiryakov is really telling a story, and it unfolds in such a way that, even if one doesn't speak Russian, leaves one riveted.
проходят мимо, даже не смотря. Ворчать собаки, снуя вокруг него. Он же не робеет, хоть главой паник. И свою шарманку вертит все старик. Another singer who most people think was Russian, but again was born in Ukraine, was the phenomenal bass Boris Khmiria, who lived from 1903 to 1969. He was a beloved artist of the Soviet regime, but because of his activities in World War II, he was imprisoned and would have been executed without the intervention of Stalin. This is a live recording of Das Wandern, the first song in Die Schöne Möllerin, where he is accompanied by his frequent collaborator, the pianist Lev Ostrin. As I say, this is a live recording. It's from 1967, two years before his death, when the singer was aged 64. Once again, there is an enormous interpretive freedom, and this is a much more extroverted and outgoing interpretation of the young Miller. He's a fascinating singer, and I hope you'll be inspired to explore him a bit more. Примером служит нам примером, ничем она не дорожит, и дальше, дальше все бежит, все дальше, все дальше, все дальше, все дальше. Колеса тоже не стоят, колеса, колеса тоже не стоят, колеса. Стучат, кружатся, лишь убьяться, с водою путь они спешат, с водою, с водою, с водою, с водою. Вертятся, пляшут, жертва, вертятся, 
вертятся пляшу жертва, вертятся. Значит, да ведь нельзя же отсеяться, нельзя же, нельзя же, нельзя же, нельзя же. Пишенье счастье мое, пишенье, пишенье счастье мое, пишенье. Проси хозяин дорогой, а я иду вслед за водой, далеко, далеко, далеко. Let's stick with Die Schöne Mellerin for a moment, or in this case, La Belle Meunière. We're going to hear the song Jalousie et Fierté, or Eifersucht und Stolz. It is performed by the French singer Germaine Martinelli, who lived from 1887 to 1964. Here, once again, is a singer who was Zwischenfach. I would perhaps call her a Falcon. She began as a mezzo-soprano and transitioned to dramatic soprano. She trained under the baritone Jean Lassalle, who created a good number of roles by Sanson, Massenet, and Ernest Reyer, whose opera Sigurd we heard on the Robert Massard episode a couple weeks ago. Though she made a good number of recordings of opera arias, she more or less restricted her appearances to the concert platform and was indeed one of the first women to record Die Schöne Mellerin, albeit in French as La Belle Meunière and with many of the verses shorn off. Nevertheless, this is quite an accomplishment considering that these recordings were made in 1928 more than a decade before Lotte Lehmann made her complete recording. She is accompanied by the pianist Jean Doyen, who lived from 1907 to 1982. He's quite celebrated for his recordings of the piano music of Forêt in particular, and for more than 35 years was the professor of piano at the Paris Conservatory. Here is Jalousie et Fierté.
Now we're going to switch back to Russian, but we're going to hear another fascinating soprano performing repertoire that is less frequently associated with female singers than with males. Maybe? That is Schubert's setting of Goethe's poem Er König, and it's performed here by the soprano Natalia Rozhdestvenskaya. Now, if Rozhdestvensky sounds like a familiar name to you, that is because her son was the conductor, Gennady Rozhdestvensky. I happen to have, back in New York, a recording of her doing Frauenliebe und Leben in Russian. But what we're going to hear today is Er König, as I said, in a live recording with the conductor Samuel Samuzud leading the orchestra. And it's from approximately, well, from the mid-1950s, as far as I could tell. Just a note about her voice. It has many of the characteristics associated with the so-called Slavic soprano. That is an excessively bright, acidic timbre that was very much the order of the day among Russian singers. It might not be so much to our liking in terms of its timbre, but she is such a dramatically engaged artist and presents a highly melodramatic reading, which in its own way is very effective. Watch the Russian version of Grand Guignol, because that's what this is. Oh! 
at this point, I thought it would be interesting to compare a few different versions of some of these songs. We've, we've already heard different versions of the Ständchen, for instance. And now I have two additional versions of Erlkönig to share with you, both of them in French. The first one is probably the most famous foreign language recording of Schubert ever. And if you thought that Roge Destrianskaya was Grand Guignol, wait until you hear this one. This recording of, in French, Le Roi des Aulnes, features not one singer, but three. Georges Thiel is the narrator and the voice of the Erlkönig. Henri Bertrand Echeverry, who was such a memorable golo on the first complete recording of Peleas, sings The Father and a personage identified as Le Petit Claude Pascal sings the role of the child. Well, I heard this, and I was like, this kid is extraordinary. Is he just some chorister they picked up off the street? Well, this was an exceptionally gifted child. And not only that, but he developed into a very well-known composer, named, of course, Claude Pascal, without Le Petit attached. This is a terrifying recording, and it's far more than a curio. It is, if anything, even more dramatic than Rojdesvianskaya's recording. Voyez ce cavalier, attend le pas. Il tient son fils qui le réchauffe dans ses bras. La nuit est noire, au loin gronde l'orage. Le vent mugit avec fracas. Mon fils. Pourquoi me casser ton visage Mon père, là, je viens de le voir. Le roi des honneurs, le spectre noir. Mon fils, c'est un brouillard du soir. Enfant, suis-moi dans ma retraite. Là, tous les jours sont jours de fête. Viens donc, viens donc, je te garde un trésor. Des jouets et des habits tout brillants Mon enfant, c'est la trompette et le vent siffle au fond des bois. Pourquoi trembler si tu me vois plus heureux bientôt que le fils des rois Tu verras mes enfants jaloux de tes droits, t'aimer, te servir et soumis à tes lois, dans leurs bras légers te bercer à ma voix. Mon fils, mon fils, cours 
One last Erlkönig for you. Again, in French, Le Roi des Aulnes. Interestingly, all three of these versions are orchestrated. At least one of them is the orchestration by Berlioz. This actually opens an interesting can of worms, because Schubert's songs also take on a different character when they're heard with orchestra rather than the original piano. Now, this version of Le Roi des Aulnes is sung by the Swiss baritone Charles Ponzerat, who lived from 1896 to 1976. Now, I would say that Ponzerat at least began as a baritone Martin. He was a famed interpreter of the role of Pelleas. Generally, when you have baritones singing Pelleas, there's a pretty good chance that they might at least qualify as Bariton Martin. But Ponzerat's greatest renown was as a recitalist. He sang mostly in French, but he did, for instance, record Dichterliebe in German with the French pianist Alfred Cortot. In the case of this Erlkönig, the orchestra is led by Piero Coppola, whom we will encounter in a few minutes, also as a pianist. What I love about this recording is that it is just as dramatic, just as vividly characterized as the others, and yet it's all sung by a single person, and he's not delivering it in the high dramatic style that Rozdestrianskaya did. This is all painted with much more subtle brush strokes. Le roi des hommes, le spectre venu. 
some pretty heavy stuff. I think we need just a little bit of a break. So how about a different Goethe text, Haydn Röslein, or as it's known in French, Rose des Bruyères. This recording is a rare one from, as far as I could tell, the 1950s, and it features another Swiss singer, the soprano Fleur Vande. Or Fleur Wind. <laughs> I think Fleur Vande sounds nicer. I Hope that's the correct pronunciation. She lived from 1909 to 1989, and probably her most famous recording is L'Enfant et les Sortilèges with Ernest Anserme in the year 1954. But she also recorded other works with him, and she became increasingly known later in her career as a recitalist. This recording appeared on one of those music history anthologies in which the pianist is not even identified, nor the date. But as I say, I think it's from the 1950s, and she is certainly full of charm. And again, she makes this song sound like it was originally said in French. Il voulait courir tout frais. 
Next, we shall hear another French singer interpreting a Schubert standard. That's Die Forelle or La Truite. Now, this is a very popular number among those who were inclined to perform their Schubert in French. On the bonus episode, we will hear Camille Moran sing it. In this case, however, we are going to hear the fascinating and fabulous Vanni Marcoux, who lived from 1877 to 1962. He was born in Torino as Jean-Émile Diogène Marcoux to a French father and an Italian mother. Vanni was a nickname that his mother gave him, and he became known as one of the most compelling singing actors of his generation, and really even beyond. He was a fantastic golo, and his professional singing career lasted more than 50 years, from his debut in 1894 to his retirement from the operatic stage in 1948. His pianist here is Piero Coppola, and the recording of La Truite was made in 1928. La truite plus légère, plus rapide qu'un trait. J'étais sur le rivage et mon regard suivait les jeux de la vorage au fond du ruisselet. Les jeux de la vorage au fond du ruisselet. Quand un pêcheur s'arrête sa ligne dans la main, il a vu la pauvrette, il jette son engin. Que l'eau reste limpide, me dis-je alors tout bas, et la ligne homicide ne la surprendra pas. Non, la ligne homicide ne la surprendra pas. Se lasse du temps perdu, de l'eau agitant la surface, ils troublent le ruisseau. Bientôt au fil perfide, la truite, la truite se promène. Je sentis l'œil humide, mon cœur qui se brisait. Je sentis l'œil humide, mon cœur qui se brisait. Now we're going to hear a Russian version of Di Forelle, and it features the tenor Ivan Kozlovsky, who lived from 1900 to 1993. He is another one of those artists who, though known as a Soviet singer, was born in what is present-day Ukraine. Alongside Lemeshev, he was one of the tenor superstars of the Bolshoi. Now there are Russian dramatic tenors as well, but these two, Lemeshev and Kozlovsky, are the quintessential Russian lyric tenors. 
none of that acidic shrillness that one hears in so many of the sopranos of that era, but instead this honeyed, delicious sound that for some people is too insipid, but man, I could listen to these guys all day. I just find their timbres so ingratiating, both of them. Kozlowski was another one of those singers whose voice lasted well into his old age. He gave his final concert in the year 1990 at the age of 90. In his recording of Di Forelle from the year 1945, he is accompanied by the pianist Naum Walter. Но тут же с длинной гибкой лесой рыбак сидел, И злобной улыбкой на рыбак он смотрел. Покуда светил ясен ручей, подумал я, Твой труд рыбак напрасен, видна леса твоя. Твой труд рыбак напрасен, видна леса твоя. Но скучно стало плуту так долго ждать. Ручей взмутил он ту же минуту, дрогнул поплавок. Он дернул пруд свой гибкий, а рыбка, а рыбка бьется там. Он снял ее с улыбкой, я волю дал слезам. Он снял ее с улыбкой, я волю дал слезам. You know, I am so taken with the artistry of Ivan Kozlovsky, and he recorded quite a bit of Schubert, including five songs from Die Schöne Müllerin, or whatever it's called in Russian. And I decided, as I was putting this week's bonus episode together, that it would be wonderful to make an artistic comparison, a balancing between his artistry and Camille Morand's. And so those are the two singers that will be featured on this week's bonus episode. Here is another Kozlovsky interpretation. This is of the song Der Tod und das Mädchen, a song that is much more often associated with low-voiced singers, contraltos or basses. But Kozlovsky brings desperation and panic to his characterization of the young girl. But when he intones the words of death, he does not have access to those cavernous sounds that a lower voice would have. So he takes a different approach, which I find surprising and compelling.
с них Призрак мрачный О, смерть, оставь меня I have a recording also of Der Tod und das Mädchen sung by a bass. That is Kozlovsky's fellow Ukrainian Boris Hmirya from the year 1964. Note, of course, his easy access to the low D, which corresponding low note Kozlovsky didn't really have in his vocal arsenal. Исчезни, призрак мрачный, О, смерть, оставь меня! Я молода, мне рано, мне 
By the way, Khmeria also recorded a very good Winterreise in Russian, of course. Accessible on YouTube and very much worth your while. I'm saving it because I probably will do a Winterreise episode in a few months. And this one will be sung all by a wide variety of basses and bass baritones. Now I have a fascinating curio for you. That is an illustration of the musical partnership between the soprano Nina Dorliak and Sviatoslav Richter. Richter lived from 1915 to 1997, and Dorliak, who was born in 1908, died just a few short months after Richter's death. Richter, of course, was one of the greatest pianists of all time, certainly of the 20th century. However idiosyncratic he sometimes was. Dorliak is by no means as well remembered as he is. If she's remembered at all, it is for the role that she played as his amanuensis, caregiver, companion, and, forgive me for saying so, beard. For Richter was a closeted gay man for his entire performing life. He later became a little bit more overt about his dalliances with handsome younger men. And Dorliak served as a deflector for all of the rumors that surrounded him. There was certainly more to her than just that. But history remembers her in that less than flattering light. Though she also did not possess a voice of great beauty, she nevertheless was a very compelling performer. And in fact, it was hearing her live in recital, specifically of German Lieder, which she always performed in Russian translation, that drew Richter to her as a fellow musician. I'm going to play a recording live from Moscow in November 1953 of the song Abschied one of the settings of poems by Ludwig Rellstab that were collected posthumously under the title Schwanengesang. 
though they are not by any means a song cycle. I love the Rellstab settings. I particularly love Schubert's late settings of the poet Johann Gabriel Seidel. Only one of those songs is included in the Schwanengesang, but let's not get too far afield. You know how I tend to do that. Let's stick with Rellstab. This is Abschied. It's an apparently carefree, or at least devil-may-care, song, but there's a lot of hidden anger, I think. And even though Dorliak has what is, to our ears, not a very attractive voice, it's got that pinched quality and really takes a lot of getting used to in listening, I still find her to be a very interesting interpreter. So if you can get past the basic timbre, there's much to enjoy, as of course there also is in Richter's pianism. It's a very interesting performance indeed. Thank you. 
the very beginning of this episode, I featured Sergei Lemeshev, and in spite of all of his health issues, including that collapsed lung that I mentioned earlier, he nonetheless sang into his 70s. And we're going to hear him in his last Schubert recording. That is another Goethe text of a song that I didn't know before called Der Goldschmidt's Gesell, The Goldsmith's Apprentice. He recorded this at the age of 70 in the year 1972. And it's rather touching to hear an old man portraying an apprentice. I'm so enchanted by my neighbor. In the morning at my workbench, I gaze at her in her shop. I beat the fine gold threads into ring and chain, and I think, when will I be able to make such a ring for my Kätchen? Sometimes I'm so distracted I file right through the golden thread, and my master grumbles. But can't he see that it's the fault of my neighbor? As soon as her work is finished, she reaches for her spinning wheel. I know full well that she's making her dowry. As her foot works the spinning wheel, I think of the garter that I gave her to wear, and I watch her take the fine threads to her lips. Ah, if only I could take the place of that thread, how I should kiss her. The pianist is David Lerner. Соседка у меня чудеснейшая крошка. Когда иду работать, я гляжу в ее окошко. Работы много у меня, кую колечки, брошки и думаю. Когда же я скую колечко крошки? Когда в их лавке нет людей, придет усердно крошка. Надежда в сердце есть у ней, до свадьбы уж немножко. Она все видно мне в окошко. Ах, если б ниткой был бы я, Прильнул бы угол крошки. Now as the program winds down, I'm going to provide one more example of the one, two, three punch of three different singers performing the same song. That is one of Schubert's last songs, Heinrich Heine's Der Doppelgänger. We'll begin with Charles Poncerat, who keeps his despair in the palm of his hand for the most part, but whose despair wells up in him. I've just been assuming that everybody knows what these songs are about. This, of course, is of a man who has returned 
to gaze upon the house where his former beloved used to live. And he sees a man standing before the same house, wringing his hands in anguish. And he looks into the man's face and sees his very own face. And he addresses his doppelganger and says, Why are you mocking these pains that I myself experienced in this same place so very long ago? This version is with orchestra again, and it's conducted by Piero Coppola.
now we shall hear probably the greatest Russian bass that ever lived, Feodor Shalyapin. He may not have had the deepest, most rolling voice of some of these Russian basses that we have been listening to today, but he has certainly one of the most powerful and individualistic artistic profiles in the history of recorded sound. He lived from 1873 to 1938, and the recording that we're going to hear with him is again with orchestra, which is conducted by Eugene Gusens, and the recording itself is from the year 1928. Shalyapin's art is most fully realized in his supercharged operatic characterizations. But I have to say, the dramatic tension is almost unbearable, as befits the subject matter. And he plays it almost like it's an operatic Shena. Зачем ты повторяешь 
Now we are going to hear a more traditional interpretation of Der Doppelgänger, performed by the Russian-Armenian baritone Pavel Lizitsyan. Lately I've been going on at great length about the extraordinary voice of Robert Massard, but I think that Lizitsyan, who lived from 1911 to 2004, really gave him a run for his money just in terms of the sheer beauty of his sound. For more than 25 years, he was one of the primary baritones at the Bolshoi. But he also was an active recitalist. And in fact, this performance of Der Doppelgänger, in which he is accompanied by Matvei Sakharov, took place in Moscow in March 1948. As I say, it's a more traditional interpretation, but one which packs an incredible emotional punch. This is another of the greatest baritone voices of the last century. Редактор 
там И плачет и стонет Ломая руки В смертельной тоске Страшно Я взгляд его встречаю В лучах луны Узнаю сам себя О сердце, сердце Зачем ты все помнишь? Зачем ты повторяешь вновь, Что пережил я здесь когда-то? The final singer we shall hear today is the Russian bass, Mark Reisen, another artist who had an incredibly long career and a fantastic rolling bass voice. He was born in 1895 and lived to the age of 97, dying on the 25th of November 1992. He is yet another singer who is identified as Russian, but was born into what is present-day Ukraine. This performance of Andy Muzik, which took place in Moscow in the winter of 1958, is introduced by Raizen himself, who is accompanied by the pianist Abram Makarov. Raizen brings all of those qualities that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode to his performance of this eternal favorite. Rarely will you hear this sung more beautifully, more fervently, no matter what language it's performed in. Schubert, к музыке. Oh, my love, 
Dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Kuntlach.